the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 3. Last week we were discussing uh, what should be a very special event uh, taking place this Wednesday at ASU's Gamage Auditorium. The uh, T.W. Lewis Center is uh, bringing in Dennis Prager and Robert Kiyosaki and uh, Dr. Um, Radha Gopalan, Charlie Kirk, and others. And uh, it has stirred up a lot of the faculty at ASU, so much so that they have taken, uh, as mentioned, to writing one of the deans that it is uh, highly inappropriate uh, to, in their words, in their words, platform and legitimize extreme anti-intellectuals and anti-democrats and white nationalists like Dennis Prager. Uh, first white nationalist who is an Orthodox Jew, I suppose. But uh, while Apostle have faculty have written that letter to a dean, um, there are faculty there that uh, stand for um, academic freedom, academic freedom, uh, intellectual uh, diversity, and open discourse. One of them, who uh, along with a couple of others, wrote uh, for the uh, Daily Wire that uh, they uh, stand athwart this uh, this race-baiting and name-calling and epithet-tossing, uh, and that uh, professor is Owen Anderson. He is a professor in the School of Humanities, Arts, and Cultural Studies at ASU, and I am delighted to host him and bring him on the show now. Professor Anderson, thank you uh, for, strangely enough, what I guess we have to now call courage, <laughs> standing up for uh, academic uh, diversity and, and intellectual freedom. But thanks for joining us as well. Well, thank you for having me on, Seth. And yeah, isn't that a strange day yeah. we live in that we're defending the right to uh, present ideas at a university? Yeah, it is. That's strange. It's strange that it takes courage to engage in the or, ordinary uh, civil behavior of welcoming uh, guests to campus with diverse viewpoints, diverse maybe to the faculty, probably not so diverse to most of common sense or mainstream America, and that we have to stand up and defend the whole notion of academic freedom and really the whole point of tenure in the first place, in a way. Wasn't tenure originally so that uh, professors and uh, and uh, and instructors would be able to teach without without content and viewpoint restrictions and discrimination. Yes, precisely. That's the idea of, of having tenure is that you, you're you're not worried about where your research takes you. Right. In, in the sense that you don't worry that well, my research takes me on that path. I might I might get in trouble politically. You follow the truth wherever it goes, and you present that to your peers, who then debate it with you, and you have uh, exchanges of ideas. Just because you researched it doesn't mean that it's going to be uh, sound. You have to present it at, re- at conferences and publish journal articles. And, and so the whole idea of the academy is, is based around giving your ideas and getting criticism. And taking, yeah, as the acid test, the back and forth with uh, curious minds, open minds, other students, of course, uh, other other adults that may want to go and show up um, in what is, after all, a public an open uh, forum. I, it's it's an odd thing to me that not that 
a handful of professors might want to, you know, stand up because they disagree with the merits or the viewpoints of some of these speakers, but that the vast majority of them did. This is a really striking yeah. thing to me, sir. Well, it is, but let me let me boast about ASU yeah, to, just to make sure yeah. everyone understands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. ASU's president and faculty senate have accepted the Chicago Statement of Freedom of Expression, mm-hmm. and that statement clearly states that you cannot oppose a speaker coming to campus, even if you find their views to be disagreeable. Mm-hmm. And our president, President Crow, has has restated that many times that he is for freedom of ideas, and so. Um, I'm very thankful for that. I, I feel very confident that ASU is right about that and that even our own faculty sometimes have to be reminded that that's the right way to go. I think that's right, and I agree with you, uh, Professor, that um, Michael Crow has done a good job on this. Um, but I will tell you there is something, and I can't quite put my finger on it. Maybe it's because I tend to often agree with Dennis Prager, uh, maybe because I tend to I, like the idea of a of an intellectual give and take and discussion. There's something that really bothers me to the core that so many faculty members can call him a white nationalist. Something about yeah. that phrase I used to think was revert, reserved or should be reserved for toxicity, and he ain't it. Well, that's that's exactly how you get around freedom of because everyone would agree to that. It's one of those popular terms like love or justice. Yeah. No one is against those things. So the way you get around it is by labeling your, your intellectual opponents as hate mongers. Beyond the pale, as having as responsible. A, yeah, they have discussion. a phobia of some kind. Yeah. Uh, and that's what was said in this. And so because he's, he has these phobias, we don't want him coming and speaking those to our students. So you position yourself as if you're protecting a vulnerable set of people from these hurtful ideas. It's interesting, that notion of phobia, because it takes me back to really what the Soviet Union did if you weren't in in uh, in sync or, or, or down the line with their Marxist philosophy. It was later called the abuse of psychiatry, but they ta- they said that you would have a mental illness if you didn't agree with the, the Marxist philosophy of the day. That's how they used the word phobia. Yeah, yep. Well, that, and that, yeah, that's one reason why we quoted George Orwell in yeah. our letter yeah. response. Yeah. Um, yeah, my view is... If I don't like another, or no, I don't use the word like, because it's not a matter of like, if I disagree with another perspective, I actually want them to have time to speak publicly, because precisely because I think they're wrong, I think people will see that. And it's important that they get to speak publicly, and, and I can challenge their ideas. So the idea, the, the whole notion that if I disagree really strongly with you, I should somehow keep you from speaking, seems so contrary to, to what we do. I'm a philosopher, so yeah. especially in philosophy, I want to read all the ideas I can and, yeah. and engage with all the ideas I can. As a sophisticated academic, as a well-published intellectual, I'd like to get into some of your works. It looks fascinating in a few moments if I can. Sure. That's certainly one thing, uh, Professor. But now think about the students. I mean, the point, it seems to me, of the university is lost if these other professors have their way. The entire point of the university, it seems to me, is lost. Students go to university to expand their thinking. Um, if they showed up thinking they knew everything already, they wouldn't need to go there. Um, it seems to me that's the whole point of them, whether they are undergrad, graduate, or professional students, or students seeking you know, a professional uh, certification or degree. They are there, to, it seems, ipso facto, almost by definition, literally maybe by definition, that they're going to expand their thinking, to hear things that they didn't already have in their intellectual furniture or possession of that furniture. 
Well, that's exactly right, and, and it's why we have what are called general ed classes. Yeah. So if you come and you say, I want to be an engineer, yeah. we don't just have you take four years of straight engineering. We think that there's other kinds of classes like philosophy, literature, history that you would benefit from. And so that that's exactly the way we've structured it. But this idea, compared to what I just said, where I said I want students yeah. to hear all the arguments, right. especially the ones I think that are unsound. Yeah. But this other idea about phobias is that the students aren't able to make those kinds of decisions. Mm -hmm. And so they can't think through for themselves these positions. And so it's the faculty member's job to sort of shield them or protect them from hearing those arguments. For me, it's just the opposite. I would say to my students, yeah, you're going to hear an argument, and I want to see if you, how you evaluate it. Is it sound or unsound? Yeah, this, this notion that a thought can – I mean, is this, this uh, let me put it in the form of a question because what you're outlining sounds like the cognate of the notion that a thought um, or an idea can be violent, dangerous and violent mm -hmm. and so uh, upset a student that they will need to be somehow mollycoddled or themselves perhaps seek some kind of professional or mental help because the idea is so challenging to them. This is new. This is yeah. de rigueur, but it is new. Well, I think it's interesting because I think for some time, maybe in the 60s, we, we did have this idea of going to a university and you're kind of shocked yep. out of your tradition right. and complacency. And you go through an existential crisis. But now it seems as if that switch where we don't want the students to be confronted with the fact that maybe they're not, uh, they don't believe the truth, the truth, maybe they don't live the correct way, and instead of allowing them to wrestle through that existential crisis, we protect them from it. And I, I think that's actually really healthy, because I think at root, the problem in culture is one of emptiness. People are empty, yeah. and they're looking around for things to fill their lives, and they're not looking to the right kinds of things that will fill their lives. That certainly would be uh, true in, uh, in, in one of your disciplines, which is philosophy, uh, which struggles mm -hmm. with these existential questions of what is justice, what is beauty, what is truth. You would yeah. think if you were going to ask that question, um, well, you would think that if you were going to ask it, we, had, we would live in a society today that wouldn't treat the person who asks it the way – Socrates was treated. Let me yeah, well, um, let me yeah. let me take a quick commercial okay. break, Professor, and come right back. I'd love to pursue this a little more and uh, some of your works as well, which are just uh, they seem to be beautiful as 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 I have read them. D uh, Professor Owen Anderson from ASU is our guest. He and I will be right back. And by the way, if you're not afraid of hearing Dennis Prager and Robert Kiyosaki and Radha. Gopalan, you can go to Ticketmaster and uh, get tickets for this Wednesday event. This Wednesday, Health, Wealth, and Happiness. Uh, Professor uh, Owen Anderson and I will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Dr. Owen Anderson is our guest. He is a professor at Arizona State University, standing up for uh, the right of uh, academic diversity and intellectual freedom and uh, free speech and the event that is to take place this Wednesday, February 8th, though a great many of his colleagues are trying to shut it down. Uh, professor, I was just kind of making a point. You're, you, you teach philosophy. You're uh, an expert in, in teaching philosophy. That is kind of a strange notion. I mean, a lot of people are exposed to, I suppose, or they used to be. I don't know if they still are. A lot of people are exposed to Plato's Republic in high schools. More seriously, they might take it in college or grad school. But 
most people are also familiar with the notion that Socrates was put to death for asking the questions, uh, ultimate questions of life. And, and, and it, as my memory of it goes, uh, the indictment was the corruption of the youth by merely asking questions. We would have thought that in uh, the year 2023 – uh, in America, that that would not uh, we would not uh, be uh, uh, foisting the same kinds of punishments on people that are asking the same kinds of questions, especially at a university, right? I'm really glad you brought up Socrates because I was thinking of that exact case. Good, as I was thinking over their charge of having phobias, right? right. Because and, and hurting the children right. in the university, right. uh, the kids, you know, mm-hmm. they're younger than me, so I say children, sure. um, because. That's what he said of Socrates, yeah, right? That right. he's harming the youth of Athens. Right. And, and so, yeah, you'd think he's kind of the paradigm that we look up to, but the truth is that there are, that many postmodern philosophers and humanists actually think the sophists were right uh-huh. and Socrates was wrong. That he, re, he relied too heavily on reason and not enough on feelings and personal expression. So it, yeah. you and I thinking Socrates is a hero, that may not be true for everyone. Yeah, that's right. It's almost as if there are now settled questions among a certain class, maybe the majority of, 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 of liberal arts professors at ASU or elsewhere, that there are the questions are settled and that the answers um, have to have predetermined uh, conclusions and that um, – how do I want to put this – I guess that there is a plane, uh, a moral plane or an intellectual plane that is legitimate and anything that dissents from it or questions it is merely illegitimate and to go back where we started can be dismissed as bigotry or psychiatrically unsound or infirm mind or or, or something like that, right? We have have reached a point where it's odd. All questions have been settled amongst, uh, for lack of a better word, the left. Well, that's what you mean. On the, well, it's good to say left because you're right. It's, okay. it's these political issues yeah. and some religious issues. Yeah. Those have been settled, and to to teach them in your classroom, even though it's not your topic, yeah. to teach them in your classroom is acceptable because it's just like saying that two plus two is four. Right. Right. But if you question them, then you're viewed as this really strange person who's who's probably has a phobia of some kind. But that's exactly what we're supposed to do: is question these these assumptions. And and there's a subtle shift that happens that I've seen happening to people who've attacked me on Twitter, they go from what I've said, which is I'm protecting freedom of speech, to, so you're defending Dennis Prager or you're defending Charlie Kirk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, wait a minute, I'm defending the right for those persons to present their ideas. Mm-hmm. And, and they're so concerned about the people speaking that they can't even see the principle of the freedom of expression. I think I've seen on Twitter that there's another odd element to this professor which is that uh, you should be ignored. You, specifically, you and your colleagues who have stood up for free speech in this case, and generally, should be ignored by mere dint of the fact that you are a white person. Yeah, the very same day that our article came out, um, uh, a group, it, it, it's, not, it's, not, it's not part of ASU, but there are, I, I believe some ASU students or a group trying to influence ASU students posted a meme of the three of us who wrote this letter and uh, made fun of the fact that we're white males. And this is what's so odd to me, sir. And you're the professor, so you correct me where I'm wrong. But that is to say, ignore you because of the skin color of your ethnicity or color of skin, perhaps even your sex or gender, that race 
dictates or determines thought. That's what they are saying. And that's a notion, I have to tell you, I thought was ended at Nuremberg. Well, it, it, is, it is, does come straight out of Marxist philosophy, which is that economic status determines everything about you. Mm-hmm. If you're a good person or not, the way you think. Mm-hmm. And so you don't categorize people based on what they think in terms of subjects. You categorize them based on economics. And yeah. then when you add in the racial element, it's racism and economics combined. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's what you do is you say, well, you're, you're a privileged class, and so your ideas don't matter. But the other classes, their ideas do matter. And I guess if your race doesn't fall neatly into their category of thought or outcome-determined thought, they just redefine you. So in the case of Dennis Prager, you have a uh, an Orthodox Jew um, who doesn't comport with the thinking of what they want, so they make him a white nationalist. If you are an African-American like, say, a Larry Elder, they will call you the black face of white supremacy. I suppose that's the intellectual or academic trick they try and engage in. I suppose. They redefine you. I suppose. Yeah, again, it's a shift, right, to those yeah. personal things yeah. rather than dealing just dealing with the subject. Yeah. If, you, if you like Thomas Sowell's economic approach, right. great. If you don't, we'll tell us why he's wrong. Right, right. But, that, yes, exactly. But that that's the old university. That's before the American mind was closed, I suppose, and perverted where questions are now supposed to be settled um, in, in in the new dispensation. And and I suppose that's a good as good a time as any for me to turn to some of your work uh, yourself. I, um, yeah. I I was uh, reading a, a, a book of yours, uh, The Declaration of Independence and God. And uh, the reason is uh, I'm a huge fan of, of everything that comes out of that natural law concept and our founding and this notion that we actually have to understand things as human beings. We have to have a common agreement on what things are. That's that's kind of the starting point of any kind of discussion, right? I mean, language yep. presupposes that we are all on a certain page that we can then discuss things from. Kind of the miracle of the noun, as yep. my teacher Harry Jaffa put it. Yeah, that's a great phrase, and uh, or, or just that there. Yeah, there's an objective reality yeah. that we're all speaking about, right. and words don't mean just what I think they do. I don't know if you remember when Alice yeah. met Humpty Dumpty, right. right? But Humpty Dumpty was was redefining words just to mean whatever he wanted them to mean, and Alice tried to point out that this would make language impossible. And, and so, yeah, language words don't just mean what I personally believe them to do to mean. And that's part of the debate going on, and that's why I believe in my book what I argue is that the Declaration of Independence, as just one of the best, one of the premier documents of human history, is in that position because it begins with natural theology. Right. So it begins not by directly going to revealed religion in scriptures, but by saying God the Creator is real, and He created us, and He gave us a nature, and our nature has certain rights because of that. Right. And those are truths that we can all build on and work together to to uh, build a civilization out of. And understanding the notion that we are humans, which is to say we are not gods, which is also to say we are not yeah. animals. Let, let's pick up on that. That's a fun, yep. that's a, okay. that's a fun area of inquiry. Um, let me take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back with Professor Owen Anderson at ASU. I am Seth Liebson, and he is Professor Anderson, and we'll be right back.
Professor Owen Anderson from ASU is our guest. He is standing up for academic freedom and intellectual diversity on behalf of uh, some people who were scurrilously uh, defamed, namely Dennis Prager and Robert Kiyosaki and uh, others who are speaking this Wednesday at ASU on the topic of health, wealth, and happiness that uh, the T.W. Lewis Center is presenting. And it turns out that Professor Anderson is uh, also uh, a scholar on natural law and philosophy and a book on the Declaration of Independence. Professor, you, uh, if, I, if, I, if I read your, uh, your biography right, you also spent some time in the Madison program at Princeton. That, that, that's Robbie George's group, right? 13 and 14. And that's when I was doing the research for this book. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. See, I see. I think that's what's interesting about uh, institutes like that, or perhaps some of the institutes in, at Arizona State University. They are little islands of free inquiry that allow you to do that. Um, but once yeah. upon a time, weren't really necessary. I don't suppose anyone mm-hmm. could could research anywhere they wanted to go. But now they have to kind of create islands of freedom and seas of tyranny, don't they? <laughs> well, that's yeah. The problem is. Just being able to do what academics are always supposed to do, just find a place where you can actually question each other. You can be in a room of people who you don't agree with on a lot of things, That's right. and you're still friendly together. Yes. And I think some of the worry is that once I make a statement or my two colleagues make a statement about freedom of speech, you're suddenly viewed as on the other team. Yes. And, and there's these social consequences. And, and that's not how it should be. You should be able to disagree with people and... and uh, have a conversation and then have dinner together. Well, yes, and it seems to me uh, based upon certain fundamental understandings about the use of the human mind or human reason, uh, as you put it in, as anyone who studies the Declaration would understand, the self-evident truth that all humans are equal. We start with a notion that there's no inherent or endemic difference between human beings qua human beings. That's really the the notion Abraham Lincoln worked off of as much as Frederick Douglass or Martin Luther King in uh, in, in in correcting civil wrongs and turning them into the civil rights that you you don't judge people based on these things that have nothing yeah. to do with the fact that they um, are basically humans. We are all humans and from there in here are rights. That's it. That's where our rights well, come from. That very fact yeah, that we are exactly all correct, equally right? human. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely correct. And and I think it really begins with this natural theology truth that we're created by God. Yeah. Right. And so we're created by God and we have a rational soul. And in Isaiah, God even says, Come and let us reason together. So mm-hmm. God himself says that to people. Yes. We can we can think together, we can come to agreement. But in the Marxist philosophy, which has come to predominate you're not a thinker, you're an acquirer, yeah. you're a laborer. Yeah. And so you only view your, your peers or your neighbors in terms of what they have. Mm-hmm. And so it's as if it's like a whole life of breaking the Ten Commandments. Yeah. You just envy your neighbors for their stuff, yeah. and it's unfair that they got their stuff. Because you're not a thinker, you're not, you're not someone who's pursuing the truth of the matter. And so I think behind a lot of this is, is a hatred for reason. Yes. And I, I think you probably know that the philosopher Derrida said... He, he was writing against being logocentric. Right. And, and yeah, I forgot Christian, about that whole that, thing. Yeah, that, I forgot that argument. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. yeah the, the problem with the West, or modern West, is, is, is it's centered on reason, yeah. logos. Right. And as a Christian, I, I know in John chapter 1, that whole idea of the logos is expanded. So when he's opposed to the logos, the eternal logos, who is the Son of God, he's, he's making an opposition to, to that belief. 
And, and that's pretty significant. And that goes beyond just an idea to, to the person of Christ, who's the Logos incarnate. I remember seeing a little bit of this in the campuses, on the campus in the mid-80s. I started seeing this argument that to want to reason, to want to debate, to want to uh, host intellectual diversity is uh, logo something. It, it was the yeah. use of reason to uh, to suppress or punish, I suppose, the uh, desired outcome. In that case, probably um, Marxist or leftist outcomes but that yeah. using reason was a form of suppression. Well, that, yeah, there is that idea. I've, I've asked on my campus if I can debate the idea of uh, decolonization yeah, or right. or what is gender identity, and I've just been told, no, we don't do that. It's, <laughs> and, and the idea is, yeah, that's a form of oppression. Now, I mean, I, I guess in one sense it could be a kind of debate that's really a yelling match, and whoever <laughs> yells the best wins. But that's not what any mean, one means by an academic debate. No, but that is kind of back to what Humpty Dumpty argued, isn't it? That the question is who's in charge, I believe, is what he tells Mm -hmm. Alice. Not what the word means, but who's in charge, which is really the argument of Thrasymachus in uh, the Republic, if I'm not mistaken. Let me take, um, I have one more segment. If you're free, I'd love to pick your brain just a little bit more. That's wonderful. Thank you. Uh, Professor Owen Anderson is our guest, and he and I will be right back. Professor Owen Anderson from ASU is our guest. He is one of the uh, few professors that stood up um, and wrote publicly uh, to defend uh, ASU's uh, bringing of uh, Dennis Prager and Robert Kiyosaki and Dr. Radha Gopalan and Charlie Kirk and others to speak this Wednesday. Uh, If you want tickets, you can get them at Ticketmaster. It's the Health, Wealth, and Happiness uh, Forum. Uh, that'll be at ASU Gamage, and I've just uh, delightfully uh, wandered into a conversation with Professor Anderson about some of his academic pursuits, uh, particularly having to do with uh, natural law, philosophy, the Declaration of Independence, and uh, morality. Uh, Professor, so one of those things I so dislike about the notion that we can't agree on certain self-evident truths that we can't land on them, that we can't um, have a common, a common uh, language. One of the reasons I don't like that is because precisely of what you had Lewis Car- what you invoked with that Lewis Carroll dialogue, Humpty Dumpty and Alice, when she's questioning his use of words, and he said, "Your definition doesn't matter. Uh, the dictionary's definition doesn't matter. What matters is who's the strongest, um, who can." Who can dominate? Who can who can make the world seem whatever it wants? This is, of course, Orwellian, but it's also to me it goes back all the way to the Thrasymachus argument uh, with Socrates and the Republic, and quite frankly, um, it's really the Soviet Union and it's Nazi Germany. It's really the the triumph of the will or 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 or, or the power of the will, isn't it? Will over reason, isn't that what it's about? It's about strength over 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 common sense and reason. I think I think that yeah, what's happening in the, in this 20th century is Nietzsche's philosophy of the will to power yeah. coming to expression right. in many areas of life, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and he argued against what he called the Apollinarian view, which is Socrates and wisdom, mm-hmm. in favor of the Dionysian view, which is this the pursuit of a, a kind of uh, wine influenced madness, almost mm-hmm. the passionate mm-hmm. uh, side of life, and so he saw those as opposites, and he thought that second one, the worship of Dionysius, was superior to wisdom. 
and that's, that's striking just because think yeah. about the book of Proverbs where we're told, get wisdom above all else. Mm-hmm. With all thy getting, get understanding. Is that the is, yep. that, is that the same uh, rough? Yep. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. Different translations exactly. of that point, because it does seem to me that if the will to power um, is 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 the dominant force, is is the is the settled uh, force, then you know we're we're basically no better than than cavemen at this point, I suppose, or whoever can muster the most amount of weapons or guns unrestrained by any notion of independent rights, civil liberties, any notion of minority rights and minorities' liberties. It's just uh, it's it's not exactly anarchy, um, although I guess it could lead to it, but it is Thunderdome. Well, that's the thing is, it, in, in, you mentioned the Republic, and that yeah. book is about justice, yeah. what counts as justice, and that's an important topic today. People, you know, a, a number of people on the left would say that their real concern is a just society. Yeah. And so Thrasymachus is making the case that, yeah, the whoever's in charge is the one who determines what justice is. But, and so I think they've accepted that definition, but what they've said is the people who have been in charge have, have been unfair still, which if you accept the definition, that can't be true, because whatever they do is justice. Right. But we are going to replace them with our own fair regime. Yes. yes. Instead of saying, wait, the whole premise is wrong. Get rid of Thrasymachus. Uh, that's not the basis for justice. Instead, it's a thing you can discover for Socrates, right, as a form right. of the good. Right. Um, and, or we could call it objective reality. It's something we can all know about by using our mind, and that's what we're training students to do, is to think. Yeah. So they can do that for themselves. You know, one thing I wanted to mention was, besides saying that this is a view of phobias, mm-hmm. they also liken it to being a flat earther. So it's either uh-huh. you have a phobia uh-huh. or, or they, some view they think is stupid. Yeah, yeah. And, and so it's very condescending yeah. towards their political opponents. But the problem is this. I'm okay hearing from a flat earther. What I want to do is the arguments for our Earth being a sphere or orbiting the sun from Copernicus or Galileo or uh, Kepler, we can all learn those same arguments. So we're, we don't just have to repeat that our teacher told us the Earth is a sphere. I want my students to know how to prove that. What arguments do these do these astronomers give? And you should know them. So when you encounter someone who makes the flat Earth case, you can say, no, that's unsound for this reason. There's certainly that. And I think that's a, an entirely reasonable way to go and probably my preferred way to go. But also part of me wants to say, perhaps with Thomas Jefferson, that if you hold that view, it neither picks my pocket nor breaks my leg. Good, you know, I, yeah, what yeah. do I care? You know, go yeah, think that way. So you I have don't to be care. A busybody, like I'm going to sort out <laughs> yeah, everybody's views yeah, about the earth. Yeah, uh. yeah, yeah. Go think that way. Go be a fool and um, and carry on. See how it works but out I'm for not, you. <laughs> I'm only bringing it up as an as a use to say we're not going to have conservatives like Dennis Prager on right. campus because he teaches the earth is flat. Right, 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 right. They pervert the view. I also think, and I. Suppose it's unfair for you to say, but I'm not going to uh, restrain myself in saying I'm guessing that these people who uh, wrote this letter, these faculty members that wrote this letter, I'm guessing that they have probably never read one of his books. I'm guessing they that their mind was closed on this a long a time ago. Quotes from him. Yeah. Um, but but then you'd have to look in and see, are they taking these out of context? Sure. And, and what's the meaning in, in when he was speaking? Yeah, I kind of looked at their evidence uh, on their letter. It was all uh, a secondary citation, if not tertiary, uh, from yeah. from a left-wing uh, source uh, that yeah. I'm very familiar with that specializes in taking things out of context to seek yeah. the banning of conversation they don't like. And it seems to well, me a few things could be, be less intellectual than that. 
Yeah, right, exactly. Well, we'll teach our students not to use secondary yeah. or tertiary yeah. sources. Yeah. Go to the primary source. Yeah. But, yeah, I think, I think the idea is that if you believe that there's something called sexual morality, yeah. then you, you have a phobia. Yeah. And so that's all it takes to prove it. Right. For, in this view. But I also think, you know, I'm a, I'm a scholar of religious studies. Yes. I do study conversion mm-hmm. experiences. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is a religious element here. Now, religion usually just means someone believing in a sacred book or going to church, but right. it, it's much broader than that. Yes. I, I would think of it more like our, our ultimate commitments or yes. our, our, our most basic beliefs that shape our life. Yeah. And I think that's part of what's going on here is, is you're, you're hearing from persons who have had a kind of what they would count as a religious experience to this view of yep. race or gender yep. or economics. Yep. And so when you argue against it, for them, it feels very personal because you're arguing against their religion. That's right. It's apostasy against the church that they've created. Yeah, and they've never been taught, of us who are religious, right. I'm a Christian, but I've also been taught how to have discussions with people who are Christians, and I understand that they think I'm wrong. And, it doesn't you, and you understand but, you live in a world where everyone doesn't agree with you, and we yeah, do, yeah. We do but, okay. But because... Yeah. I don't think that the persons in this religion have been taught how to do that. They take it very personally. I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely right. Well, Professor Anderson, uh, it was lovely uh, spending time with you. Thank you for sharing your time. Thank you for what you're doing with our students. Thank you for standing up, not only for freedom, but for truth. I am Seth Liebson. I'll be back with a few closing thoughts. A lot of you have been hearing me talk about why refi for a bit now, and if you have questions uh, about uh, how well they're investing with them can do for you, we have a lot of satisfied uh, customers. They have a lot of satisfied clients in the Phoenix area who are happy to talk with you, and why refi will happily put you in touch with them. You can call them at 888-Y-REFI. 34. That's 888-Y-REFI-34. I also want you to think about your IRA, and if you'd like it to be earning strong fixed interest rates and not be dependent on the stock market, or for that matter, the Fed, did you know you can invest with Y-REFI through an IRA or other qualified funds? You can keep your investment, including the high fixed interest rates you earn, tax-deferred. Your money can stay in your IRA, and you don't have to pay taxes on the income you earn, and it is a high fixed interest rate they can give you why refi is a due diligence approved firm check them out at investyrefi.com the word invest the letter y r e f y.com i was just thinking about that conversation with the professor and you know what we're doing to students these days uh, with the coddling of them but also what we're doing with adults um, it wasn't uh, yes it ultimately became several students who would oppose Dennis Prager speaking at ASU on Wednesday, but it was led by professors. And isn't that a sad thing? Isn't that an awful thing that uh, learned men and women, men of sc- and women of scholarship with advanced degrees are telling the campus and the community and their students not to listen to an idea that might be alternative to what they have um, been taught before or what they have been brought up to think? If there were no, you know, challenge of thought, if there was no combat of ideas, think about where we'd be as a as a people. Think about where we'd be as a country. Um, it was a settled idea in many parts of this country that treating humans as animals was not only just, but what God wanted. Thank God that could be debated. And it was the refusal to debate that, unfortunately and sadly and tragically, that tore this country apart 
in a civil war. There have been other precincts where dominant thought was considered to be, if not just true, but ordained by God, by minds that had to um, be proven wrong over time. It doesn't mean that every dissenter is right, but it does mean that we will be a lesser people if we don't challenge preconceived notions. Think in your own life for a moment about preconceived notions you may have had on small or big things that you just think your lucky stars or God or anything else, maybe someone smarter than you, who helped you get out and around that thought. This is what we call human advancement. This is what we call education. This is what we call an open society in which there should be no closed questions. Thanks for spending some of your afternoon with us. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Leibson. God bless you all, and class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.